No matter what type of photography you do, we all really capture the same thing, light. And there's nothing like a classic portrait. So today we're gonna touch on that and classic lighting on this episode of Behind the Shot. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot, the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all the stories and challenges that happen in between. I'm your host, Steve Brazel. As always, you can check out the website at behindtheshot.tv. And for today's episode and every episode, there will be a blog post there that has a small gallery of images from my guest and all the links that we talk about during the show. For that matter, an actual blog post on my guest today. Also keep in mind, you can find us in a lot of different places if you're a podcast listener. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. That way you always get the latest up-to-date information and shows. You can find all the links also at BehindTheShot.tv. As well, you can follow us on social media. The links are at the website or on YouTube. It's Behind the Shot. So let's get into today's guest. Now, as I bring up today's guest, there's a couple things I want to get on the ground here first, right? Ann Spanier is somebody that was introduced to me by the founder and CEO of Platypod, who was on my show at the beginning of the year, uh, Larry. And he said, you got to talk to Ian Spanier. He's a fantastic photographer. So I'd like to welcome Ian Spanier to the show. Ian, how are you, buddy? Good, Steve. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure having you. And there's something I mentioned to you in the green room, as it were, <clears throat> that before I have any guests on, I go look through their portfolio, partially, you know, kind of the to get an idea of shots I'd like to discuss, but also partially to look through their body of work and try and find a commonality, right? People try and figure out what their voice in photography is, what their quote unquote style is. And what they don't realize is when you're looking at one shot, you don't know what your style is. But when you look at 20, when you look at 30, it tends to jump at you. And I've got to say, you have a command of light like very few people I know. Oh, thank you. I, I'm curious before we get into the details of you, what do you attribute that to? Why? You clearly understand light. Where does that come from? Well, uh, first I'll tell you that I did not assist. So uh, I wasn't really taught properly, if you want to put it that way. Well, clearly uh, you got taught something. Well, properly, I said. <laughs> um, thank you, though. Uh, so a lot of my understanding of light is based on the idea that I had to figure it out for myself. And when I do lectures and speaking engagements, I often talk about the idea that if we can understand what natural light does, the different forms of it via a cloudy day, a sunny day, a overcast day, a slightly diffused day, uh, bounced light here, bounced right. light there, all those things, if you understand what happens in the natural world, then recreating that in the artificial world is just a matter of messing up, making mistakes, and then learning from those mistakes and moving forward. So, so what I you're saying is you're a master at having messed up in the past. I'm a failure is what I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I often talk about the idea that uh, you need to fail to learn. And so I stress on people, go fail because that's how you will learn it. And so getting back to the lighting aspect, basically, I, I really just went out and Kind of studied what the sun was doing and i grew up on the east coast I, I lived in new york city at the time that i was really kind of doing this process and new york is great for that because 
throughout the course of the year, you get these different um, atmospheres, you get different days, different uh, uh, you know times of day that the sun is this way or that way. And then you also get this tremendous amount of bounced light and understanding that that bounced light off a white wall is going to be very different from a glass building. And can, how can I use that to my advantage? And how can I use these things when I'm out doing a location shoot to better myself in those cases where maybe I only have two lights, but I need three. You, you just gave situations. an interesting actual, I mean, I mean, if you were teaching a class on lighting, you just gave a really interesting, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Exercise to do, right? Go out to a place that has tall buildings, glass, white, brick, and just watch how the light reflects. Absolutely. That that actually, so let's talk about you. You're a portrait okay, sure, photographer sure. is how I see you mostly, but you also do some amazing sports stuff. And a lot of the stuff you do while it's in those veins, sports or portraiture, uh, also works its way into the commercial end which we'll touch on with your Robert Irvine stuff here in a second, but you're also an educator. So you are a published author. Your first book kind of caught me by surprise. Playboy, a guide to cigars. Are you, are you a cigar smoker? Uh, I was, uh, became one Okay. <laughs> to, to some degree. I don't smoke anymore really, but during that process, you have no choice. Have so a collection of photographs made over six continents over two and a half years. That's, that's an interesting one. Your second one, Local Heroes, America's Volunteer Firefighters. That one was 2012. And based on the post I saw from you on Instagram today, uh, you're doing a new book with Chef Robert Irvine and you posted a behind the scenes of somebody obviously in an editor's office going through the layout of the book and working on photos. Just give me a quick helicopter view, if you would, of the, the new Robert Irvine project. Sure. Well, it's actually the second book. I did his first book as well, which was called Fit Fuel. And um, that book was primarily um, Robert's workout combined with his recipes. And that was the focus of that book. This book that is coming out uh, very shortly is focused on the family table. And so it's meals that you can do with your family. And uh, Irvine being a family man himself and he really designed this book to uh, gear towards the families that, that kids can help with these recipes right. and make these recipes. Uh, it, it's kind of funny because I've always been a bit of chameleon and somewhat to the detriment of my career, which we could probably talk about later, but um, I'm somebody that shoots everything. I, I really- Whatever crosses yeah. your well, lens, basically. I'll, I'll put an asterisk on that. I have three rules, which is no weddings, no kids, <laughs> and no pets. Oh, However, you got the same three as me. <laughs> I have broken the rules from time to time. Kids sometimes come up on commercial jobs and pets, you know, if it's a horse, okay, that's cool. I'm dealing with that, but I'm not doing, you know, pet fancy. Yeah, you know, but the no weddings like just really hits me right in the heart. I, I, you got I've me on that one. Photographers. I wish I could do it. I just don't have the personality for it. I got and, you. I got um, you. So you have yeah. another new project coming out. Yes. Right yeah. next door. And this thing, I've got links to all of these. You mentioned to me it was in Huffington Post, Daily Mail, and also you wrote about it on the Platypod blog because you're a Platypod ambassador. Um, I've got links to those stories up there. Just again, what is right next door? Right next door, actually, I've been doing for about three and a half years. And essentially, it's a project about the interesting people that live all around us that, that you have no idea how interesting they are. So it travels from everything from 
the guy that Mad Men is loosely based on, who was the creative director for Esquire magazine in the 60s. And um, he lives right around the corner from one of the top schools in New York, top art schools in New York. And I bet you those kids have no idea that he's walking by. Right. Uh, to uh, my mentor, Harry Benson, the famous photographer, photographed the Beatles who came to America. You probably know him being a music yeah. guy. Yeah. And um, then, you know, a steam, fight, a steam pipe fitter. Uh, who fought in the Korean War, to a uh, woman who was raised with wolves, to um, a professional juggler from Venice Beach who so you know, has been doing it since he was 13. It's almost like the special people among us that you don't see that are there. Yeah, in an artsy-fartsy kind of way, it was a comment on the fact that we live our lives buried in our phones and tablets, and so we don't really talk to our neighbors anymore. And um, I was really kind of bringing that out and uh, – I work with an editor. Originally, I worked with a writer. Unfortunately, he died, believe it or not, uh, right at the beginning of the process. Uh, but I have an editor friend that I work with. I write the stories, and then he makes my words pretty, as I always say. And um, as you mentioned, it was it was a, a long-time thing in the Huffington Post until they ended their blog. Uh, okay. So contribution-wise, I mentioned you're an educator. You've lectured for Canon, for PPA, for B&H, New York Photo Expo, Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City. And you're a contributor to PDN's PhotoServe with advice and stories and stuff like that. But here's the one that gets me. You are going to be doing a workshop and it's at a place that I wish that I had or would at some point in the future be able to go to for their workshops because they look really, really good. So tell me a little bit about the workshop that you've got coming up before we get into your sure. shot here. Sure. So uh, this is my first one for the Santa Fe workshops. And, um, and can't tell you I've got the URL so that you know on top of you right now. So. Oh, fantastic. So um, super honored to go and do this week-long series of lighting on location, which is really what I do all the time. I build studios on location all the time. So when if you go to my website, you'll see pictures that look like they're done in studio. Quite often, those are in tiny little offices in an office building in you know New York City or Beverly Hills or wherever I am. Uh, other times, I'm on location. And as we touched on at the beginning, you know, a big part of my career is understanding light and how to not only utilize the best of natural light, but also have the ability to artificially create whatever situation I need to create in order to get the best picture. So I'm going to be delving into that very deeply. And, you know, a lot of those smaller lectures, you know, you get at most two hours to, to give your, your best to people, but over five days, I mean, I think it's going to be an amazing. And, and this experience. is when, when was this February? Uh, it's going to be in March. March, March. Okay. So I put the URL up there and all the links are in the blog post at BehindTheShot.tv. So let's real quick before we get into your shot, I do want to mention you're a Westcott Lighting Top Pro. You're affiliated also with Low Pro Bags and the, the Low Professionals. You're a brand ambassador for both Hoodman and for Platypod. And you are, I'm not even going to go through them all. You've got awards to back up what I'm talking about when I say you you understand light. And, and the reason this is interesting to me before we bring up the shot, as you mentioned, I'm a music photographer, right? So I understand light that I get on stage, but I don't get to create it. So I understand the timing of light in a live concert. I understand how the colors are gonna go and I understand how those colors are gonna be either flattering or unflattering or how I can utilize both the, the color, the light style, and the light position to my advantage in my composition, whether I put it behind them, whether I rim light them. When, I mean, I, I use somebody else's lighting to try and do classic lighting. But 
you do your own and I, I and you do it in such a way that I literally see what I think we should see when we see portraits, right? We all know that portraiture lighting in photography kind of comes from the masters, the painters. That's why we get, you know, butterfly light and that's why we get Rembrandt light and that all of those type things. And you do it so absolutely beautifully. So I want to bring up the portrait of Jeff Bridges that you did. Tell me a little bit about your exposure choice here. Do you have that info in front of you? If not, I, I think do. I do. Yeah, I've got it here. Um, well, first off, thank you. I appreciate that. It, my whole career, I have to tell you, it's always comes from a place of you either get me or you don't. <laughs> and so I, I appreciate it very much when people understand uh, what I'm trying to say as a photographer, if that's not the wrong way to say it, but that's probably the way to say it. Well, based on um, what you just said, I apologize interrupting you. Your intent yeah. then with this was a classic light portraiture, right? You didn't just set up a light and go let you to portrait. You had an intent of exactly what look you wanted. Yes and no. Okay. Um, this was actually an, an addition to an assignment that I was doing. So I was actually on assignment for The Wrap, which is an entertainment magazine. Mm -hmm. And we were doing portraits of executives in the entertainment industry. And it was a two-day shoot um, back in a green room of a hotel uh, while they were putting on this whole, um, basically, seminar for two days. And at the end of one of the days, the photo editor came over and said, so tomorrow um, you're going to be shooting Jeff Bridges. The dude. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> However, uh, I've been through this before, and I always say, unless they're sitting in front of me, it didn't happen, or it's not going to happen. So I, I'm very kind of, I don't get too excited because uh, until they're actually there, you know, a million things could happen. You right. Know? So um, my setup was actually done for the two-day assignment. So rather than change the lighting and because we didn't know what time he was coming and, you know, I was literally, I mean, we did 40 portraits over two days, I think. So in that mix, there's no way I could do a whole nother setup. Unfortunately, right. we were crammed into a small corner of this room. I know it doesn't look like that from the photo, but this is actually shuffed over into a, a part of the green room. The rest of the green room was actually available to the, the people that were coming in. So, um, the intent with that lighting was really to just have something that would be great for all my subjects, young, regardless, old, male, female, female. age, yeah. independent. Exactly. So exactly. what choices did you make for exposure? Okay. So, um, ISO 200, uh, strictly for the speed of the recycle time on the pro photo B one heads that I use, which are 500 watt heads. Um, I've got two of them. And there is a behind the scenes photo. If you go to my Instagram page and scroll back a little bit, there is a, a BTS shot showing the exact setup. Uh, I think there's actually one with Jeff sitting in the seat shot over my shoulder. Um, so one sixtieth of a second at F seven one. Now I read my lights at F eight. At F one. So I'm reading it at F at F eight. Okay. And I'm opening up to F seven point one on camera. So I do that on purpose. I like my exposure to be. If you're looking at the histogram, I like it to be slightly juxtaposed to the right. Okay, now, hold on. Let on me purpose. understand what you just said. So you're using a light meter. 
Mm-hmm. Always. You stuck the light meter and in front of. You need one. I tell people this all the time. You won't believe how many photographers don't use light meters now. I. Um, Bad boy. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> okay. In my defense, I shoot concerts, but well, I am looking at buying a Sekonic 308 uh, UX or SUX, whatever it is, um, just to have one. So <laughs> let me just understand this, though. You took a light meter and stuck it in the dude's face. No, no. Okay. Or next to his face or whatever. And yeah. where'd you put your light meter at that? Oh, he wasn't there yet. Done. You did it before he got there. Way before. Okay. Yeah. So you, you used a light meter. You got a perfect exposure, both in camera, lighting power, everything at F8 at ISO 200 because you wanted the recycle time. That put you at 160th of a second. You left everything as it was, you know, as, as it was set, perfect. And then you opened up from F8 to 7.1 to get a little bit more pop on the highs. Correct. So a lot of, a big mistake I think photographers make is that they just trust their LCD on the back of the camera. But what they don't realize is that in different lighting conditions, your eyes making adjustments, our eyes have something like 14 stops that we adjust in our brain. Actually more like 22 actually. Yeah. 22. Okay. So in that, you know, you're looking at a little LCD and you're saying, Oh, that looks great. But even when you take it back to one computer versus another computer, it looks different, you know? So for me, I, I think it's very important to read that histogram. So I always stress that reading that histogram is very important. Whenever I'm shooting, I'm looking at that histogram and making sure that it's juxtaposed to the right. Now, there are certain things that we take into account. Is the background black? Is your background white? You know, those things are going to throw that histogram off a little bit. But when you understand that histogram, you know what you're looking for as far as those peaks and valleys and everything historically, I just find that by opening up a little bit, I get the right amount of pop that I want out of the image. And um, sure, I could turn the power up on the lights or change the ISO if I need to, but it's such an easy thing. It's a third of a stop is all, so. That's it. And on top of that, um, I can tell you that when I shot film, not to date myself, but I always processed plus a third. Okay, interesting. So why, all right, two questions then. Sure. This was, according to the EXIF data, I have 57 millimeters. I'm assuming that was, you know, partially because of the room. It's a 24 to 70 f 2.8 L Mark II, which is just insanely sharp. I have one sitting next to me on a Canon 5D Mark IV. Again, beautiful combination, those two. The 57 millimeters, I'm guessing, is just the distance you wanted. It wasn't the field of view that you wanted. Um. Again, jammed in a corner of a room. Okay. Like I, I said, I, so you I, had so I, much room. Yeah. yeah. The table that we had our computer on was in my shoulder. Okay. As, so I'm, that's as far as, as Were you far shooting back tethered? as I could get. I never shoot tethered. I okay. don't like it. If I can avoid it, I occasionally have to for clients, but I actually use a cam ranger if you're not familiar with them, yep. but um, that allows me to shoot to an iPad. So I actually give my clients the iPad and I'm shooting and they're seeing it almost in real time right behind me. So- Tell me if I'm right. I looked up the EXIF data on this, okay? And it showed, and it was all there, so I'm guessing it's accurate, manual white balance. Are you shooting raw? You can change your white balance in post. You obviously want to get it close in camera, but you actually took the time to set a manual? You know, I used to always shoot auto white balance. It was kind of just my thing. And then as time went on, I I always kind of noticed where I ended up in uh, whether it be Lightroom or Photoshop, 
with my adjustments. And my range was always about, you know, 4750 to say 6200, depending on the situation. Um, Knowing that's where I generally fall, combined with trusting my pro photo lights or daylight balance and knowing where that is at 5500 or so, um, and the modifications that I might make on whatever my modifiers, the light modifiers are, be it if I add some CTO gel or CTB or whatever I'm doing. I tend to find that if I set the white balance on the camera, I get a more consistent result throughout the entire shoot. Whereas when it was auto white balance, the smallest thing could sometimes change and then the camera wouldn't know that I didn't want it to change that white balance. So it could be something like somebody opening up a curtain in a room and I can't see it because it's off in the corner, but it's, it's happening. And if we go back to the original comment about understanding light, you know that every light in that room can have an effect in a certain way. Yeah, now, yeah. if we're overpowering the lights, I don't worry about the fluorescence overhead. If my shutter speed's fast enough, I know I'm beyond that. If my ISO is low enough, I know it's not even registering. But at this point, it's about control and controlling all those things that I want to so that when I get to post, I have the least amount of work to do. And that has a lot to do with our society now. Everybody wants everything immediately. This job, actually, we went straight from shooting to uploading the files because they were up on the website that night for the the client. How long did you have with him? Uh, The fastest two minutes I've ever had. Two minutes? Yeah. He came in, he sat down, you shot it, he'd gone. Yeah. I, I always say that with celebrities, I expect two minutes. If I get more, fantastic. I had Morgan Freeman for nine hours. It was unbelievable. Was, was I, I keep wanting to call him the dude. Uh, <laughs> was Mr. Bridges nice? Very nice. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I'll tell you the exact thing because it was so quick. Uh, he came in. Everybody kind of was like, oh, my God, it's the dude. Right, yeah. And um, uh, by the way, I'm celebrities are people, okay? Yeah, they just and they just do a job different than ours. That's it. That's it. And it's I like treat them. I treat them. Yeah, I treat them like people, and that's it. I don't have a big ego. If they have a big ego, fantastic for them. Whatever, it's not my problem. They're still going to do what I need them to do, and that's part of that psychological game that happens. As we as photographers are the ones ultimately deciding when to push the button, but at the same time, if I can let them think they're in control, sometimes that strokes their ego enough that. Right. We're, we're good. We're simpatico. Um, so he walked in and I basically, you know, introduced myself, said hello. And I said, you're a photographer, which I knew because I'd seen his work before. You know how this stuff goes. So I'm going to tell you where to sit. But other than that, you do you. So no posing, no coaching, no nothing. I just told him if I want you to look somewhere, I'll let you know. And I think I might have said, just look over here for a second. And that was, that was it during the main part of the shoot. Now, the other part of the shoot that you might not have known is that even though we had that as our one and only setup and I expected two minutes, I'm going to take my best advantage of whatever amount of time I'm going to have with him and I set up a third light. So I had a second option. Now, so where, are the, where are the two lights, the two main lights you were using here? So um, Key light, up high camera, right. Well, this is a nice technical note for you. It's two 43-inch Westcott Apollo deep silver umbrellas. Now I use the silver because the silver for me gives a pop that I like. It just speaks to the the kind of quality of light that I like. Now both have diffusion on it. 
because of the height of the ceiling, which so they're umbrellas, but they have diffusion on the front, almost like a softbox. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So they're essentially like two octobanks almost. Gotcha. Um, because of the height of the ceiling, which was maybe ten feet, the top light was at a very steep tabletop angle, with the stack of the second light right beneath it. So they really become one light source. However, I play a big thing up in my whole lighting schematics, which is about ratios. So usually my key light is two stops at least above my second light. And the key light was the one you measured at F8? I measure one at F8, then this one at two stops under, let's say. Okay. And then combined, I'll read it again, and it's probably about eight and a half, and then I bring the power down to eight. So combined, I want eight. So you start with eight and minus two, meter again, and bring the power down on both of them. Combined. Combined to back down so that you're still at eight to start, and then you open up your aperture to 7.1. So you had two lights working almost as a single wall of almost like a strip box. Yes. So that one hit up under the chin. So that you have a nice fill right, and a spread of that light that um, creates a directional light, but at the same time, there's enough fill there that that Why not direction... just use a reflector underneath? Um, I think, yes, you could. It's kind of like Photoshop. There's a million ways to see right. a cat, right? We could, I could have had a series of white foam core underneath. But you do, get, you do get better control, obviously, because now that bottom light, instead of just being a reflector, it has a power knob. Yes. So you can dial it more. Where's the third light? So um, those are the only two lights for the main shoot, the shot that you're seeing there. Okay. Okay. The second setup that I did, which my point with that is that if you can get your client two setups in two minutes, that's a hell of a lot better than one setup. Heck yeah. So um, shut off the two lights. In in the back of the set, I had a... Um, Westcott Rapid Box Beauty Dish, which is a 24-inch beauty dish. You might see Joel Grimes uses this all the time. It's a beautiful light source. Had that set up with one piece of diffusion and the grid. I asked uh, Mr. Bridges to turn and face the fire door, which was off to my right. I saw these on your blog. or Yeah. Uh, Instagram probably saw it. Instagram, yeah. Yeah. So um, really just wanted to do a beautiful profile. He has such a distinct and cool face. And... So all I said was just look straight ahead towards the fire door. We my, had my assistant turn the backlight on, our main lights off, and I can actually do that on my remote as well. And I fired off maybe four or five frames. He gave me a turn and a look, said, I'm done. And I was like, thank you very much. <laughs> that was it. Wow. That, okay. So interesting, no coaching. As I'm looking at the shot, I got a couple questions on just the, the composition part, right? Um, his jacket is zipped or buttoned or whatever it is. Uh, it looks like buttons. That was just him. He just sat down and went with whatever he had on. No, no fiddling with that. No groomer, no stylist. So we're just going with what it is. I love the way you use space, right? And the way that you, you have the vertical line on the wall, which is the wall, right? But most people would be afraid of it and try and find a flat piece of wall. You used it, but just made sure that it didn't intersect his head I'm not sure that that was conscious or not. I'm assuming it is having seen your work. 
Um, so he's kind of in a frame with a second frame next to him almost. So that composition really works for me. When you get back and you start post-processing this shot, what software do you use? What's in your toolkit? All right, well, before we go there, let me point out that I made that background. So it's actually- That's not a wall? No, it's um, two X-drop um, backgrounds. It's two gray panels, basically. And I purposefully stacked them like that. And <laughs> I, I swear to you, my assistant looked like I was crazy. And he did not understand what my point was in doing that. But when he saw the final product and he was like, now it makes sense to me. So okay, I had well, you just, you just said okay. what your point was. So now I'm going to go there. I mean, I understand the end result. But at that moment, what were you thinking? I want, I want um, dimension. What, what were you thinking that you did that? Yeah. So because I knew that I was going to be jammed in a corner and a flat seamless would be kind of bland. And then again, just because I do this throughout the year, as I review my work over the course of a year, I look at how much stuff do I have that's on location? How much stuff do I have that's in studio? And if I have too much that's in studio, I need to break that up. So not anticipating that I was going to get Jeff Bridges, but more that if a cool portrait came out of this mix, I want something that I can pull from it, throw in my portfolio that breaks up the monotony of everything being a white, gray, or black right, background. Right, right. Okay. So the intent with that stack really was just for depth. Knowing that I'm in a small space, I'm going to make it look big. Okay, so you get it back. What's your software of choice? Okay, so Lightroom. Uh, Photoshop? I always work in Lightroom first, and I prep my file in Lightroom, and then I export it into Photoshop, and that's where I do the heavy lifting work. Um, I did add a texture to that background to give it a. So you cut him out. Uh, I use masks, a ton of masks. That's what I mean. I love yeah. masks. Yeah. So I essentially lay overlaid a uh, soft light layer. Um, initially with a, a texture on it, uh, masked him out of that. And then quite often, depending on what I'm going for, I'll sometimes double that layer and use a multiply layer or a second soft to light get more layer effect, just yeah. to play with the opacity just to push that a little bit. And further. you did the vignette? Yeah. Okay. In, in Photoshop? Yeah. I mean, it was actually, I think I probably set it up in Lightroom a little bit. What do you, what do you do in Lightroom normally? Uh, just uh, just your basic panel, you know, exposure, uh, you know, blacks, whites, contrast, that type of thing? More or less. I, I play a little bit with the hue and saturation um, just to get it where I want and sharpening, of course. Occasionally, I will use some of the individual channels to, to like, let's say an image is kind of yellow. I might pull some of that yellow out right there. A lot of times I'll leave that to Photoshop, but um, if I can do a little bit of it in Lightroom, it just saves me time. Are you a clarity user at all? I don't love clarity. I, I, I sometimes will use it for the low res files that I send to the client, knowing that that's what it's going to look like when I get to Photoshop, but I'd much rather use a high pass filter if I'm looking for that effect. Okay. Uh, so th this is a question that just hit me though, but everybody always asks me. Every picture is different. We get that. No using that as the, as the answer. You go into to Lightroom and you're doing your sharpening. And if you had, if you were stuck on a desert island <laughs> with one set of sharpening settings for all of your work, what would you have 
your value, your radius, your mask. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> gotcha. You're talking to somebody that works off feel. Look, as much as I talk about the What's an average aspect, number for you for sharpening? Probably 48. 48. Okay. And, and what about radius? If you're at 48, I'm guessing that you're probably at a higher radius, one, two, one, three. Yeah, I would say anything from one, two to four, three, even, I think sometimes it just depends on the situation. Um, do you know the little trick about holding down the option yep. key and pulling the mask so that you can see where you're shot? I'm a concert yourself? photographer. I li I shoot at such high ISO yeah. that masking is literally in Lightroom what makes my job possible because otherwise I'm sharpening the noise that's in their skin instead yeah. of just the edges of their face. So yeah. for people who don't know if on a Mac, you hold the option key, is it uh, alt on a PC, I think? Yeah, alt or option, yeah. Um, so if you hold the option key down as you drag those sliders, you'll actually, the the image goes black and white and you'll be able to see what you're, what you're working yeah. on, so. Much more control that way. Um, so my point is this, you heard me talking very technical about that lighting scenario and the right. ratios and I'm using a light meter regardless of all those numbers, it's about the feel. And so lighting has a feel to me. And that, that goes way back to what I was talking about, about walking around those streets in New York city and, and thinking about what the sun's doing. It, it's about the feel of the light as much as it's about the technical part of it. So if in that stack of light, it doesn't feel right, then I'm going to change it because of the feel, not because of the technical right, aspect. Right. And it's yeah. the same and, for me, Photoshop and Lightroom and all that. Yeah, and that makes total sense. So here's the last question for you, because mm -hmm. you're an educator too. If you were to look at a beginning photographer and give them a one sentence tip, just, you know, boom, this will make you a better photographer, what would it be? One word. Not one word, one sentence. You no, know, one a word. short, oh, oh re really, it would be one word? Yeah. Okay. Shoot. Oh, I like that. Just shoot more. Yeah. That's it. It's like any other, what does an athlete do if you're a soccer player? Right. You're not going to score goals if you don't kick that ball a million times. Well, right? I would, but that's, you know, that's me. <laughs> that's <it. laughs> um, you know, baseball player, you're going to have to swing that bat millions and millions of times. Well, it's it's okay. the old saying, we use it when I teach karate and everything. You know, the, the way you get good at something is do it 10,000 times. Yeah. Um, and while that's not a magic number, it's true. The way you get good at something is by doing something. Even if you have natural talent, it's doing it. And, and I always like to stress that. I don't care when you look at me, yeah, it comes easy to me. I don't care. You want to go to the next level, it, <clears throat> it takes practice. So Absolutely. here's the deal. You are really amazing at light. I am watching your stream now on Instagram and it just, it blows my mind some of the work that you get done. So uh, to everybody that's watching, in the blog post associated with this episode at behindtheshot.tv, you will see all of Ian's links for his website, for Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Go follow this guy and and give him some love. Ian, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. You uh, humbled me very much. I get embarrassed. <laughs> no, easily. not at all, so man. Uh, all, but, absolutely yeah. amazing. So to everybody, again, it's behindtheshot.tv. Make sure that you head over there. And uh, 
all the info that you need having to do with this episode, all the links that we talked about will be there. Along with BehindTheShot.tv, you can follow me at stevebrazel.com. It's like Brazil, but two L's. My Facebook page is Steve Brazel Photography, or for the podcast, it's Behind the Shot Podcast. And last but not least, on Instagram, it's BehindTheShot.t, or excuse me, BehindTheShotTV for the podcast, and then just Steve Brazel for me. I'm also Steve Brazel on Twitter. It makes it really easy. Follow me anywhere that you need. And if you have any questions, always feel free to reach out. We're having a great start to the new year. I'm really, really enjoying this. Thanks to everybody for stopping by. This is the podcast where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 